0: the North American distributor for composite developments, fly rods, and fishing accessories. Tech. Precision. Ingenuity. Legacy. Go to cdfishing.us and follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Here's your host, Lauren Carnop, and this is the February Room. Good day, everyone. Justin here,
3: and though it's been a relatively mild winter in Montana, Our snowpack is actually looking pretty good, and uh, we are anticipating an average water year on our local rivers, and with that in mind, there's no better person that I could think of than a guy with an intimate knowledge of both fly fishing and snowpack. Travis Kraft, welcome to the program. Thank
2: you, my friend. It's good to be here.
3: Well, we really appreciate your time. Uh, Travis, you're a longtime Montana guide. Uh, and an outfitter now, and the director of the Avalanche Center and have led a rather eventful life. Um, can you please share one of those events with us, for starters?
2: Well, I, I think the, the best thing that I, I feel is, you know, I chase trout for a job here in West Central Montana on our local rivers. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about a DIY trip. So, what guides, do on, guides and outfitters do on their way out when they're looking for an adventure um i i've always been inspired by like those first pioneers like Leif erickson like tr- finding a new land or like the adventures of, like Yv- Yvonne Schnard climbing in yosemite or going to patagonia to fish um, so the best adventure i've had so far recently was in 2019 i had the i, I got to go to the arctic circle and it all stemmed from, you know, everyone, you hear Alaska and people think of king salmon. They, they think a uh, large rainbow is eating flesh flies, things like that. Well, I've been there and done that. Um, I still want, I haven't caught a king yet, but for me, it was more of the sense of adventure. And so the fish that we chose to go after was a she fish, which is the largest member of the whitefish family. And it's predatory. So basically, you're throwing streamers at them, which is kind of my bag. Um, if you give me the opportunity, even on a huge blanket dry fly hatch, I'll still throw junk. That's kind of that. And um, so my buddy proposed. He's like, "Hey, let's get let's get you to Alaska." Yeah, I'm like, "Oh man, what are we gonna go do? We're gonna go bead for stuff. Like, what do we What are we gonna do?" And I'm like, "He's like, no, we're going to the Arctic Circle." And I was like, phew, all right, here we go. Arctic Circle, haven't been there. That's on the bucket list. And then he's like, and I'm like, so what? what's the deal? He's like, you ever heard of a she-fish? Of course, me, I was like, no. He's like, so we Google it. Huge thing that looks like, the, they call it Tarpon of the North. I'm in. Eat streamers, I'm in. So we put together five, five of my buddies, five of us total. And did a DIY trip to the Kobuk River um, in the gate, that starts in the gates of the Arctic National Park and is above the Arctic Circle. And what's she fish holding water? None of us had an idea. You know, I talked to my buddies that had guided in Alaska and spent a lot of time up there. Like, yeah, we catch them. But it's usually when we're fishing for other things. Um, and so that's where our adventure started. And, of course, we're low, we We fly in the Brooks Rage Aviation in in a weather storm and sure enough we were able to pack light enough that we got in one beaver in a haviland so we were able to do one flight and not get screwed like you usually do where you end up being flown in first and none of your gear or tent is <laughs> there and the weather's socked in and of course we got chatty kathy who we nicknamed our pilot <laughs> because we at, we show up and we're like Okay, what, what's it look like flying? You know, a bunch of flights been canceled. He's like, "Uh, oh, I'm hungry. I'm gonna finish my lunch. I'll come out." So we're looking at, <laughs> we're looking, there, looking over our gear. It shows up with the truck and just starts loading gear. Doesn't say anything. And my buddy Brent goes to, him, "So, what do you think? You think we're flying today?" Yep. And that's about the extent that we had for the whole flight in the Brooks Range with about 100, 150 feet of visibility and flying about 2,000 feet off the deck through cloud banks <laughs> into the lake. And it as he it starts to haveling, the rain starts socking in and through every rivet line, we got water dripping through. And it's held together with duct tape and everything. It's safety talk was, well, there's a fire extinguisher there. But it's under all your shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so we fly in and you look at the only thing on this plane looks better than a commercial kitchen. This high-end, high-end commercial kitchen is that engine. So we knew at least the engine would go, but maybe the fuselage would just rip off, you know? <laughs> and so we got in there and got dropped off of the lake and floated the Kobuk for about 75 miles. Till the first Inuit village and took out there chasing she fish.
3: So you had the raft with you in the beaver too?
2: Yeah, so we did there were five of us total and we were able to do two rafts with all our gear and back and so we packed super light and backpacker gear, a lot of freeze dried stuff just to make weight so we could do one flight. And essentially we ate fish as our only protein besides besides um smoke smoked sticks and jerky and bear food bare food just bear food <laughs> and the lake you know we caught pike and then we floated out of the lake down a small tributary and got into some grailing water and we had read somewhere on some deep reddit post deep and grossed at like two in the morning about well if you're in if you're in the arctic up above the circle, you should throw mice patterns for grayling. And I was like, shit, you've seen a mouth on a grayling. Are they gonna <laughs> get that thing? Sure enough, we get in that grayling water. And we catch our first grayling on a streamer. We're chucking some some stuff around. It eats and it's like, oh. So my buddy Crouch and I, of course, that's when that's when it's like, oh, get the mouse patterns. Get the mouse patterns. Let's see. Let's see how, how let, that's that's what I want to do. So get the mouse pattern out there. And most of the time we throw, like when, when I tie mouse patterns, we tie them with a trailing hook more towards the back and because that increases your hookup rate on the mice with like a big brown or big rainbows. You know, big, big predators that are going to do that. Well, we throw that thing out, give it a little twitch, swimming across two grayling come out of nowhere and smack at this thing. We, we miss them. And so we continue to do this. The grail are going nuts for these things because it's basically you're out there and the landscape there is primarily tundra. So you've got all those voles and everything that's coming. They see a lot of these guys. Plus it's the Arctic, so like if, if there's food, you eat. That's the rule in the Arctic. If you see food, you just eat it. So we mi- so we keep missing them. And my buddy Craps is like, okay, I got these. Let's, let's see what other, what other patterns. So we got some more traditionally tied ones that the hooks more in the center of the body. As soon as we put that on every single one we hooked because they weren't just chasing and snatching. They were just going after these things. Wow. How big were these graylings? Uh, the biggest one we caught and taped was like 23 inches, man. That's a big grayling, man. Well, I guess when you're eating mice and bowls, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So that was, that was, that was fun for about a day and a half.
3: That's crazy. Is that a thing? I haven't heard much about grayling eating
2: mice. Dude, we found it on a deep, dark Reddit board at two 30 in the morning, scheming about adventures that were either tropical or, or dark, deep holes like Camp and things like that.
3: Nice job digging up that research. You would have got there and Yeah, and been unarmed or not even known about it, I guess. But, wow, what a cool experience. You know, I've only had one experience, like, catching those big grayling up in in Saskatchewan. And I I had a hard time getting a
2: chubby in their mouth. Yeah, (laughs) exactly, dude. Like, you're like, I mean, and they're eating legit mouse patterns. Like, we didn't skimp. We're like, well, if you're going to eat a mouse, man, you're going to eat a freaking mouse
3: wow that's really cool huh so so uh, and on the she fish like how how successful was the she fish mission
2: okay so here we are it's day four man we haven't seen a she fish like we we, like my buddy like the five of us we've been like we're fishing fast water fishing deep pools i mean we've got we've got different we've got in our boat with jason and i were in one boat together my buddy crouch and then my buddy joe gertzen who lives here in town um who does the handmade leather bags um leather and canvas gertzen adventure equipment he he's in our other boat with his two buddies from south africa um who we've done some trips with and i mean man we're 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 pulling over working runs trying different retrieves we haven't seen a lick of a And so we're like, oh, man, what what are we doing here? Like, man, okay. So it's day four, and we're starting to pick up more and more water. We're starting to get some bigger braids, some bigger tributaries coming in. And we're just prospecting. And I'm rowing, and we're going down. And there's some big boulders on on a nice little bend, and my buddy Crouch... Pops in this nice shot behind the boulder, goes one, two, three, lets it start sinking because we're using heavy sink tips, you know, 300 grains on eight, on seven weights and um, dropping them down, gets a tug, gets a tug. And the next thing you know, we're hooked in to the first she fish of the trip, you know, and it, it all of a sudden jumps out of the water, starts heading downstream I'm rowing after it and we're like, holy shit, there are she fish here. Okay. Game on. Game on. And so 25 minutes finally before we get this thing, I find a place to pull over. We can get, we can get the fish in, take a look at this thing and be like, oh my God, it is a she fish. So that was our first she fish. And then about 15 minutes later, the river did a big divide where it braids for about a mile and a half and then comes back together. And we took chose, we chose where we chose this left channel. And right at the top of that, my buddy Brent throws in a streamer right before we take that braid and gets a look from a she fish. And there's this beautiful run that we all pull over and all of a sudden we start getting into she fish. And what it was, was it was a big upstream cast, as far as you can cast, let it sink, go one, two, three, four, five, give it three bounces, and they'll eat. And there we are, we spent about four hours there, hooking in the she At one point, all five of us were hooked in the she
3: So did they did they earn the moniker tarpon of the north? How'd they fight?
2: Dude, they fought great.
3: You That's know, like it
2: wasn't a dog fight. It was, they'll run, they'll jump. Um, they're the tarpon of the north, man. They're amazing. Um, and so we got to this other place, um, that reminded me a lot of the Missouri. It was where two braids came back together in this huge eddy that you could do a row around. We spent eight hours there. <laughs> taking laps through with like, the other boat had two anglers. They'd double up on she-fish, rowed down. We'd enter our one angler in our boat. Jason and I were taking turns, just hook up, fight, hook up, fight. We did that for eight hours. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in the world. Wow, man, you guys cracked the code. We cracked the code because then we started monkeying with stuff because we tried different weights, and what we were finding is what we were watching is we finally got some visibility. Because the the cobuck runs that really interesting, like tannin color. It's not that glacier. It's not that glacial till. It has this really tanniny color, kind of like the big hole gets, or like Rock Creek gets when it has, or the Smith. Yeah, exactly. And so you're like, you can't really ever see what the structure is. Down at the bottom, you just kind of have to use braille, you know. And what we were finding is that she fish are interesting because what they do is they spend they spend their time out in the bays and the salt, and then head up river to spawn. And so they school up. And what
3: they're like, they're like steelhead or yeah, exactly,
2: exactly. And they're moving, and we were hitting them where we hit them was where they were on in their spawn you know once we started finding their densities as we got lower and lower in the tributary we found more and more she fish um and so we found this nice resting spot where we were doing this row around and so jason and i started um experimenting with like will they take a top fly will they take a popper will they take this will they take that and what we were finding is we start we actually got to see a couple of them actually feed, and what they were doing is some of the fish would push off the bottom and push bait fish up, and then the other fish would come in and eat the bait fish.
3: Gotcha, huh? Interesting. So it
2: was a really interesting retrieve. So what you do is you wanted you wanted that, that line down deep, so it got in front of them. And then you kind of did strip, 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 give it a little bit more erratic, like they were they were moving scared, and that's when you get you get a hit.
3: Wow, right on! What what flies were working best for you? What what color streamer? How big were they?
2: Well, there's only one color streamer. That's white. Let's just be honest, white, like, like, I, mean, you know, I mean, you can outfish me all day on a black sex section, but my white one's a better fly because it's
3: flying. Oh man, you'd have a good time with Kelly Gallup while he's switching around colors every 10 minutes. I have I fished with him one time.
2: <laughs> Kelly, Kelly's got a system and, you know, I'll work, I'll work that when, when I've got, when I'm fishing clients with streamers.
3: Of course. That's all he was doing, too.
2: But <laughs> my personal, man, I, it's, it's white. Like, I'll try yeah. something else. I'll fish it for five minutes and be like, well, that thing sucks. Even if I get a grab on it. It's like, yeah, white will do. I mean, they'll eat it now. They'll eat it now.
3: So how many, uh, how much info did you guys have going into this trip? Like how much did you know about the river? I mean, when you're coming up to, to one of those braids, you're just kind of rolling the dice or, or how much,
2: how much data were you able to gather ahead of time? So We basically we pulled off, we had the, we, we laminated a bunch of the standard topos, you know? So we had those with us. Plus we all had GPSs and like, man, how gps's are you got you got your onyx map you know and you got and like the next thing you know all those braids change every year at some points we're traveling via raft for two miles across ground according to the gps right (laughs) you know so what we only had two boats and what we used is we used on those bca link radios those handhelds that have pretty good coverage and we were yeah. able to get about we were able to get about a mile apart and still be in contact. So like wh- nice. whoever was in whoever was in lead boat would be like, okay, so if, if you look at the map as we're coming up, you're gonna come to a braid and it's gonna be one, two, three. We're gonna take the second one because that one looks at the map like the bet that has the most water and should be the most likely to go through. Wow, man, what a what an awesome adventure. Well, because the other thing that happened right before we got up there is that was right when Alaska got torrential downpours in early August. So the river had jumped 25,000 – let's see, it jumped 25,000 CFS.
0: 25,000.
2: It had gone from 25,000 to 50 grand. Oh, it doubled. Ouch. It doubled. And so we were hitting it on the drop because, like, I mean – my buddy Jason looks at me like two, like three days before the trip, and like you know we were looking and we were seeing that it was dropping. And he's like, well, "What are we gonna do if it's blowing out?" I'm like, "We're gonna do, it's, we're gonna treat it just like we do in Montana." Yeah, it's blowing out. It's muddy. We'll eat something. That's an Alaska trip. Fuck, we're fly, we're flying tomorrow morning.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, there's no bar you can float to and hole up at. Exactly. <laughs> like this
2: isn't like this isn't like oh yeah. Oh, the route's blown out. Oh, let's head to the bow, the mole fish. Like, right. What do you want to do, Jason? Like we're going to stop at Anchorage and ship all our stuff from Brooks range aviation. Where, where are we going to get our boats?
3: Wow, man, that's an awesome trip. If you ever go do that again, um, you save a seat for me.
2: Oh, I will buddy. I plan. I, there's a couple other she fish rivers that, that are on my radar.
0: And now a brief message from our sponsors. Introducing the Trist All-Fly Kit, composite development's latest game-changing innovation. Utilizing the same butt section, the All-Fly morphs from 5-weight to an 8-weight via interchangeable sections. Need a little more length? Pop the extender into place, and the 9-foot rod becomes a 10-footer. All housed within an ingenious tri-folding magnet rod tube, the All-Fly is the most versatile fly fishing tool ever devised, negating the need for multiple rods. Switch from delicate presentations with tiny parachutes to hucking gaudy coneheads. This package must be seen to be believed. Go to cd-fishing.us, click the video tab, and see the Tristall all Fly in action. And remember to go fishing.
3: Well, you been a guide here in Missoula for how long, Travis?
2: Oh, I've been rowing a boat either in whitewater or fishing for 20... Three years, you know, I've guided I've guided here in Missoula, I've guided on the Main Main salmon, I've got it on the Colorado, I've guided on the Oahee, I've guided on the green, um in Utah and Colorado. Long time, man. And uh
3: so you know, how do you keep it fresh? Because for me, I'm in my third stint now as a guide and guiding for me now is just kind of a side hustle. Um, and it works better for me that way. Cause that way I don't get burned out. I, uh, you know, I, I still enjoy my personal fishing and, um, and I come up with little systems, you know, to keep it interesting. Like, like for instance, this year I've tied six dozen dry flies the last month. And, Uh, the trips that I already have on the books, notwithstanding, when those six dozen dry flies are gone, I'm calling it quits for the year.
2: So, so what do you do? What do you do to, to keep it fresh and interesting? You know, I think, I think what, what, what's really rejuvenated me is like, for me, it's these trips that I plan with my friends to go to have that adventure. And now with two little kids, you know, my son, Thorin, he, he just turned six this last June and right before his birthday, during the salmon fly hatch, his birthday's June 19th, he caught his first trout all by himself on a dry fly. So awesome. like, if I have a day off these t- at all during, during guide season, I take my kids out. And that's, that keeps me fresh because like for them, it's sharing teaching and like that same stretch of river over and over again. You know, I think the other thing is, is me personally, I couldn't guide somewhere that I only had 30 miles of river to guide on. Like, that's why I like West central Montana. I mean, we have Oh, depending on how you measure and how far you want to drive, you know, within an hour and a half drive, we got three hundred and twenty floatable river miles, I think. And that's not counting the creek or if you want to do a rocket ship to the mow. You know, so Yeah, if, it's if it's unbelievable. So if you're if you're clever and not afraid, like you know, I, I I'll take the, the the channel less less chosen and go poke around because like at this point. Most of my clients are repeat clients, so I know what I'm in for. I know, that, I know, I know that Doug and Murph are going to be an hour late. <laughs> I know how many. Right. I know how many beers are going to get crushed in the cooler, and like, if we have to make the di- like, we got we got a three hour window here before we need to buckle down, get get what we need, and then we can float. You know, right. I, I think that helps with not having the burnout factor. You know, and I and the other thing is, is what i have started to see now too is a lot of my clients are bringing people that haven't fished much, and then watching them float down the canyon. You know, the canyon on the Blackfoot, it's it's crowded, but if you choose your window right and get someone who's never fished on. On the Blackfoot, they're blown away by it. You know, right. you're, catching, you're catching wild, wild West Slope cutthroat. You know, you're catching wild trout. I mean, I think I think that's what we sometimes fail to say in Montana. Is, you know, these aren't stocked fish. You know, we we led the charge in catch and release. Like, these are wild fish. This isn't a dog. This isn't this big rainbow that came out of a stock tank. That's just er, and I'm all goofy. You know, these are wild reproducing fish. And we live in a pretty magical place and to watch some people experience it for the first time and be able to share with them kind of the, because my degrees in wildlife biology. So it's not just the whole idea Um, for me is, is that we're not just, you can be a fish pimp if you want, you know, like how many fish I put in the boat today, how big were they? Da, 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 da. you know fishing's a major component of it but it's also the experience you know we've got wild fish we've got where else can you float by scotty brown bridge that sees how many people from paws up how many how many people from Ebarl, all everyone visiting and the next thing you know you look over in the bushes and you got a big mature grizzly bear ripping out a bank trying to eat muskrats so if you're if you're creative you're sharing these experiences with people that that this might be the only time they fish in Montana, you know, or spend or actually get to see a grizzly bear. You know, they go back to like New York or they live in the city and like, this is, this is it for them. So I think, I think for me, it's sharing that experience and like when they go back, they think back to Montana and like, yeah, this actually, we want to, we want to take care of these resources.
3: Right on, man. Yeah. And, you know, you make a good point there too. Um, Western Montana is uh, is unique and special in the fact that when you meet your clients in the morning, you have like 40 different floats that you can choose from. So there's there's years where I don't do the same. I might not float the same stretch in the same season sometimes. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's years where I was like, oh, you know what? I never I didn't even float anglers to to woodbridge last year huh i forgot about that you know it's well, just, right. so much
2: water it always makes it sporty because if you don't float that section that year in the next year you're like oh let's go do that and you're like oh god like this year was a prime example that the route went big and at one point i i texted russell parks and i was like hey man this is where i am in the river this doesn't look anything like I've ever seen.
3: That's what's so crazy about guiding around here, man. It's just, it's, it's so dynamic. It is, uh, it's constantly changing. And, uh, and it just, it impresses me the, you know, guys like yourself, your, your Josh Lowers, um, you know, there's a long list of them, Brooks, Jess, and we could go on and on here of guys that have been here for a long time. Jay Dixon, um, and uh you know just just the the wealth of knowledge um just due to the fact that it's so dynamic and you have to know so many different stretches and some of the stretches don't fish as well at uh twenty five hundred c f s as they might at twenty two c on twenty two hundred c f s and it's amazing um uh how much uh how much knowledge the guy the guides around here have they're like they're like i liken them to permit guides. know the tides or you know really good steelhead guides which are uh which are rare and hard to find
2: i i agree wholeheartedly i mean this this place is dynamic um and you you have to you know as we as we've seen this past season um more and more people are rediscovering the outdoors you know and, and things are things are getting busier and busier um And to have that ability to be able to spread that traffic out, because that's what we have to do for the resource, you know, and my, I I also always equate it like with my, with my folks, they always ask me on those multi-day trips, you know, they're here for a week and they're always, they're like, oh, Travis, when are we going to double down? When are we going to double down? Because I always, I just had that tendency, like there's that, that you fish with, with folks over the years and you get that like two or three day you're like okay that first day we're gonna we're gonna get into some fish we're gonna just get everybody reacquainted and then there's always that double down day you know where you're like oh man i think that sectional fish you know and i always give them the the wide open i'm like we're doubling down today boys so what is, uh, what do you, what do you
3: think the answer is here, given the fact that, um, we're kind of at, uh, at the saturation point as far as fishing pressure goes on these rivers, which are freestone rivers. And like you mentioned with wild fish, you know, we're not the Missouri where we're in a, not, not that those aren't wild fish, but it's just a different situation. It's a big tailwater, um, you know, with a with much, much different protein structure, much different habitat than these, than these freestone rivers with wild fish and some native fish, West Slopes, of course, and bull trout. And um, what do you, How do you feel about the, the present state of the fishing pressure, and do you think there's anything that needs to be done to alleviate
2: it? What I see is, I mean, Missoula, I'll just use Missoula as the example, because that's, that's, that's where we live everybody has some form of water transportation you know we've got so much water here and th- this goes beyond this goes beyond beyond public versus commercial i mean we could, there's always the big debate like how many outfitters how many this how many that but if you look there used to be that that when when i started there used to be that whole thing like when you called in in the morning like i'll be honest like Pat rest his soul and and boyle, Tommy, they hold the most power in the community. You know, if you're right. doing shuttles, man, they can give you the best information in the world. And it used to be when you when you you always had like three sections of the river, you wanted to fish that day with your people, and you called in and like if there were two boats there, you just didn't go. You you right. you audibled. You know, and now what I see a lot of is like you know, people stack eight, seven boats in on top of four other boats, and so I think we just have to. I, I I think it first starts with having the the dialogue between your group of out the the clique of outfitters and guides that are working together, and like going back to that old idea, like spread this out, you know. And I think the other part of it, and, and this is this is just my two cents on it is that if you buy like an inner tube to go float the river that that there's just like a dollar attached to it like the pittman robertson's act with like if you look at sportsman's pittman robertson act by shells optics or anything hunting wise that goes into a conservation fund used to restore the habitat
3: yeah, and it's it's Bingle Johnson is the one for fishing products
2: for tax right. For, it's, yeah, exactly, I pay, I pay it for my rod business. Right, and so we the consumers pay that when they buy stuff for those things, and that goes directly to funding natural resource projects. You know, and so if we were to do that with tubes and things like that, we could take that money and clean up the sites. You know, and that money could help maintain sites and maybe make accesses easier, you know, that we're not eroding banks. We're not getting these side trails. Well, similar
3: to, you know, as Outfitters, we pay a commercial FAS fee in Montana, which makes
2: sense because we use the boat ramps a lot. So I get it and I'm still paying it. I will pay that all the time, but I I just want some cost share. I want a little bit of a, a little bit of that. Um, cause I think that that's not much to ask, you know, because we like, we definitely, you know, when I, when we're all floating down the river, you know, we pull over and pick trash up all the time, you know? Um, yep. I've spent 20 minutes in a hole down in a log jam, um, digging out 150 beer cans, you know, and putting them in the boat or this and that, you know I mean? And not all of them were yours. No. <laughs> no. Um, but that's that's what I think. And I think the other part is I think there needs to be some better education tools out there for people that are new to floating on, like, how to use a ramp that <laughs> you don't post up on a ramp. When you enter the ramp, you get in and out. You know? Um right. I think Idaho. I mean, if you go over to Idaho and you go into you go on the big four, the four permitted rivers in Idaho for whitewater, primarily whitewater, you know, Hells Canyon, the Selway, um, the Mill Fork of the Salmon and the main salmon, man, you watch a lot of people public like private or commercial, they know what you do on a ramp. You get in and out. Right. You know, you see a lot more less junk shows over there because they've done a really good job with educating people on that. And, you know, FWP has started the campaign about that. But it's almost like if you go and buy a boat at a shop, you should get kind of a little guide that comes right with it. Like, hey, here are some etiquette and tips that'll help enjoy your experience. Right,
3: so we're not... um... Running into Florence Bridge at 5 p.m. on Friday night.
2: <laughs> exactly. You know, um, yeah. and not not running into a crusty, a crusty person that that their patience is fried by October.
3: Yeah. <laughs> right. So so Travis, in addition to uh, to being a guide and an outfitter. Um, you are also the director of the Avalanche Center, correct? And, and if you'll uh, um, give me your full title there.
2: So I'm the director of the West Central Montana Avalanche Center, um, based out of here in Missoula, Montana. Um, our advisory area covers from Lost Trail Pass in the Southern Bitterroots, west to around Superior, and then north to the Seely swan so the divide of the Swan River. There in the Southern Missions and Southern Swans. Um, and essentially what I do is, between myself and the forecasters and telemetry from our snow tail sites, it also shows how much snowpack we have in the mountains. Um, we create avalanche forecasts um, for our backcountry recreationalists. Um, so if you're cross-country skiing, if you're backcountry skiing, snowboarding, or if you're a um, backcountry snowmobiler. Um, we're rating um, an avalanche danger rating for those particular users um, on national forest ground.
3: Gotcha. And how have, uh, how have the conditions been this winter? It's been a weird winter.
2: It's been a really interesting winter. You know, um, if you look at our basin averages, um, we're just below 90 percent in all our drainages. You know, and that varies by the time snippet and time. But we're a little bit below average you know, but that's, it's just like fire season. What's high water looks like. There's a lot of variables that go into it. Um, It's been predominantly warmer. We know that for a fact. Um, We haven't had those cold snaps. Our avalanche conditions have fluctuated um, since we have had a shallower snowpack um, in lower and mid elevations. Um, We've definitely had some more elevated um, avalanche danger this year than we have in years past. You know, but we're still trending. Um, there are still deep parts of our snowpack. You know, a majority of it is above at this point above seven thousand feet. You know, we just haven't gotten that lower elevation snow. Like when we've had rain events in the valley, um, we're getting snow up high. You know.
3: Gotcha. So what's that going to? I understand all of this is a is speculation. Oh, but, you want uh, me to look in just, the crystal oh.
2: ball? I'll look in the crystal ball
3: no just a little bit just a little bit when am i dude when am i fishing green grapes give me the date give me the <laughs> afternoon <laughs> no but uh but what is that the lack of low elevation snow generally speaking what does that mean for for
2: the runoff and the river levels i think i personally like what what i've been i've been talking to the people out at NOAA at the weather service um I think with lower with, with not having that low and mid elevation, squal season could be rocking. Um, like let's just right. be honest, we're not going to be <laughs> kicking ice out of boat ramps. And also without that lower elevation snow, you know, in those days, it, the days where that river bumps just because all that low elevation snow just drops into the watershed, you know, it could le- it could mean that we have a little bit more consistent flow, not the ebb and pulse that we sometimes see during squall season. Um, so I'm, I, and I also really just look forward to squalor season, you know.
3: <laughs> me too, me too, man. What's your,
2: what's your favorite bug? Oh, my favorite bug for squalor season is one of mine. What do you call it? What do I call it? I call it Frankie, Frankenstein. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right on. <laughs> You've been tied a bunch of those lately?
2: I got I got about a dozen.
3: When those dozen are up, are you gonna call the cancel swallow
2: season? <laughs> no because then I'm just gonna I'm, then I'm just gonna put on a big a big um pheasant tail dry. There you go. There throw, you go. And throw that over into that soft water and watch that brown. Just freaking move ten feet forward and whack the hell out of it.
3: Right on. Um, and your your guide service is hammer right? Thunderhammer. Thunderhammer fly fishing. Now, what what was the genesis of Thunderhammer? I've never heard this story, man.
2: I've got a lot of Scandinavian roots. Uh, my son's name Thorin um, is his first name. His middle name Storm because he was born on the last uh, the day he was born. We didn't have a middle name for him. But it snowed in the valley that day. And so I looked at my wife. I was like, okay, Storm's going to be his middle name. You know, that's it, the only way. I mean, we've got snow in the valley. It's rock creek season, salmon flies. This is perfect. You know, I've, I've got my truck with the wrap rack in the parking lot because, of course, we were like two weeks late on the due date. <laughs> and I had to call Russell. <laughs> we had to get in deuce. And I'm like, Russell, I can't guide on the creek. I got to go watch my son get bored tomorrow. Um so that's so his middle name Storm and you know thunderhammer like we I I I believe that sometimes what we've done in fly fishing is sometimes we've done a disservice in that we've tried to create elite clubs and that and my number one rule in the boat is that fishing is supposed to be fun. And if we're not having fun let's change that you know it, it everyone gets so caught up and sometimes it can feel elitist you know because yeah like you hear scotch cigars khaki you know <laughs> and like oh I'm gonna wear another another I'm gonna wear another khaki shirt you know and I'm gonna have the, these Sims wires and this and that man fishings supposed to be fun and you can you can get away with. it. Yeah, that yeah, that person that's throwing an eagle claw rod, man, and they're catching fish. So, like, if we're no longer that. That's why when I decided, it's not like trout, trout chaser, man. We're fishing. Thunderhammer fly fishing. So the Scandinavian part's Thunderhammer, and then it's fishing. You know, and we're cho- it's supposed to be fun. It's not. We're just chasing trout. We're ch- we're chasing an experience
3: no doubt no doubt man and what's the best way for folks to find you
2: you can go on go on the web and go to www.thunderhammerflyfishing.com
3: well awesome man well thanks travis always good to catch up with you and um look forward
0: to, to running some days with you this summer go to the thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests their fishing stories and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns, and if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at the February, the February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.